0: Will you guys stand with me? We are, uh, we're in John normally, but I felt the Lord saying that he's got some special words for us in such a time as this. Psalm 73 was on my heart uh, last week, but then the Lord shot me to Psalm 100 for the celebration service of gathering back together. Psalm 73 was still on my heart. Heart. Some other passages were on my heart. I don't know if we'll be in John next week. Uh, as long as we, we've just got some things that maybe the Lord needs to be speaking to us as a church. Um, I had sent the, the live stream guys need a title as they get the live stream going. Like, what's the title? And I said, uh, in these especially awful times. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, that might be what I'm feeling, but that's not what the, the word's theme is. Here's what the word's theme is from Psalm 73. The wicked's fate and the righteous's faith. Okay? The wicked's fate and the righteous faith. Okay? Um, We're going to do a little bit of what we did last week, and we're going to read these 28 verses together. Okay? So follow my lead Okay, don't force your dyslexia in there, you know, like, you're like three verses behind us, but you're going to try to hammer this thing out, you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, but just, you know, follow me, read this as you read it, let it saturate your heart. Russell, do we got it up there, buddy? And uh, here we have it, a Psalm of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, And their tongues walk through the earth. Therefore his people return here. And waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. And washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vecked in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish, but you have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. This psalm was written by Asaph, a Levite musician appointed by David to serve in the tabernacle. Asaph has been called the eminent singer, much like our Adam Barney. His psalm deals with a problem that is just as much up to date as when it was written. Namely, the problem of the wicked flourishing while the righteous languish. Here we see a man who's almost stumbled in his faith because of the prosperity of the wicked. He has a, quote, perplexing mental conflict, end quote, Matthew Henry said to envy the prosperity of the wicked, a common temptation which has tried the graces of many of the saints. This psalm is a moving autobiographical reflection of the suffering of the righteous and the prosperity of the wicked. It's a wisdom psalm. Spurgeon said the theme is that ancient stumbling block of good men which Job's friends could not get over. viz. the present prosperity of wicked men and the sorrows of the godly. Heathen philosophers have puzzled themselves about this while to believers it has too often been a temptation. You guys, as I've had this psalm on my heart, I've read it many times in the last couple weeks, and I feel that it addresses where we're at as a country. It addresses where we're at as a culture. And I think with that, we've got to be humble in our understanding that there are more people with diverse opinions than just our own. There are more people in this room that maybe hold a disagreeing viewpoint than agreeing Viewpoint. There are people that we love, that we would consider the family of faith here at Calvary Chapel, that when you get in a room and you begin to have discussion on things, you'll realize, you know what? We're not all on the exact same page concerning every social issue, every medical issue, every political issue, that there's actually kind of a wide range of various philosophies, opinions, positions, many people well read, many people know the blogs, know the websites, know the preachers, know the sermons, have done the research, have done their work, and still at the end of the day, there's different convictions and there's different conclusions to these things. But what I want to encourage is that at the end of the day, we're all able to come together after having talked with humility and say, you know what, this thing I know, Jesus is Lord Jesus loves people and has died for people. Jesus calls us to love people and to lay our lives down for people. There's certain essential tenets of the faith that every Christian can cling to together and in unity and say, Amen, together. And the more that we come together and embrace the unity of the faith, the more that we're going to be able to wash out those things and have grace with one another, those things, and we're going to be able to travel through this life's difficulties um, to the glory of God and as an aroma and a fragrance of Christ to the world. And so I even have just parts marked. As I've been reading through this psalm, there's parts where I'm like, oh my gosh, this totally... I feel like that this is probably really helps address some, like, racial prejudice that's going on in our country. You know, if there's, like, a pure kernel to, like, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, which I think that there is, there's some purity in some of the heart and desire that reform that they desire to see, then I think that it's kind of, there's, like, a grief that's expressed here in this psalm. Is there, are there elements and other things that, man, I, I would disagree with. I don't think that I can get there, you know, but man, I'm just praying and I want to be humble and, and at the bottom line, I want to love you. I want to lay my life down for, you know, But I'm working through some of these things, I just can't get and so Then over maybe on this side, you know, man, I, I can see where, where this side might be coming from. And I read Psalm 73, I'm like, man, I can get to maybe this, this standpoint. I, I can get to this place. I could get to this, you know, and yet there's other things like I can't get there with you. And so there's certain things that, man, we just got to say, man, there are true griefs all around the board. There are true struggles. There is some serious pain going on in our world. And God break our hearts have eyes for the pain that we're talking real lives here. People are hurting on all sides of the street, both sides of the street. North, east, south, and west. They're all over. There's people that aren't involved and they're over here and they got their own issues and they've got pain going and they don't know how to deal with it. And I think that as we read this psalm, there's some things that we can just come together and just, we can say amen to. And we can humbly say, you know what? Man, Lord, work this in me concerning that. Starting out in verse 1, it says, truly God is good to Israel the psalm kinda begins abruptly. Yet God is good to Israel. Truly God is, is great to Israel. This is maybe a phrase you can imagine Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister, tweeting out Truly God is good to Israel, you know, or whatever. You're like that was either Russian or Hebrew. Not sure. There may be a blend going on there. The psalmist here declares his confidence in God starting right out. Okay? He plants his foot on a rock while he ponders a conflict that's going on. And this conflict's going on inside of him. It's something that we need to go as we are Americans, as we are Christians, as we are missional to Prineville and Crook County and to the rest of the world, we got to start out putting our foot on the rock. Here's what I know: God is good. All right. I think there was an old saying, and my buddy—it was on my buddy's voicemail. You know, you call him and you get: uh, life is hard, God is good. Don't get the two confused. Okay. So God is good. In fact, truly, He is good. Someone said that that word "truly" is like a like a flake of gold. You know, just just there's this little peace in this psalm it's like a little flake off of gold and it's precious and worth grabbing a hold to right now truly god is good matthew henry said centuries ago good thoughts of god will fortify us against many of satan's temptations I'm going to be a little lengthy with some Spurgeon quotes today, but I think they're helpful in some of this. It is well to make sure of what we do know, for this will be good anchor hold for us when we are molested by those mysterious storms which arise from things we do not understand. Whatever may or may not be the truth about mysterious and inscrutable things... There are certainties somewhere. Experiences place some tangible facts within our grasps. Let us then cling to these and they will prevent our being carried away by those hurricanes of infidelity which shall come from the wilderness and like whirlwinds smite the four corners of our house and threaten to overthrow it. Guys, 2020 started out with, I'm going to have to pay five cents for a grocery bag? (laughs) No! No! No, no. That's wrong. Okay, I'll buy it. <laughs> Load me up. I'm going to keep these in my truck. It's the grocery outlet ones. They're made out of metal. I'm going to keep them in my truck. I'm, I'm going to be that guy. I'm just cruising in with my grocery bags. Never have taken a grocery bag into the store. We spent 20 bucks on grocery bags. They're never with me in the store. It was a rough January. And then everything else happened. Like crazy stuff. Pandemics. Okay? Political stuff. Nepal trips canceled. That's a lot of work to just, eh, cancel. Right? Starting out, just praying for our leaders. Eh, yeah, let, Patients possess our souls, church. Three weeks later, what is her problem? <laughs> he tweeted that? What is going on? Ah! That'll be 10 cents for a grocery bag, sir. Ah! You know, it's more than I can bear, right? You guys, the, the last few months have been like a tempest whirlwind coming through and shaking us like crazy. And listen to me what what makes it difficult is with it came y'all isolating yourself from fellowship now not all of that was your fault some of it was okay some of it was our fault some of us kind of enjoyed a season of like i can fly under the radar i don't have to be in fellowship no one will know if i listen no one will know if i've been praying we all know, we all know, you are caught, you know, or whatever. Like, hello. Okay, so you couple all of this travesty with just operating in the flesh and carnality, which is just, maybe just been amplified for us because of not being around each other, not living, in, and it's just gotten ugly. And the tempest has come, and it's showing. It's showing in us, church, okay, And we have got to plant our foot on that rock that truly God is good. In New Testament theology, not only is he good to Israel, but he is good to those who are adopted into Israel, those who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Verse 2 says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. All of this had tripped up my heels. Asaph couldn't make any progress on the good road. It was like there was ice underneath him, and his feet were doing the dance on the sheet of ice. Kind of the context is, man, I almost quit my religion and gave up my expectations of being benefited by it because I began to be envious of the foolish. You know, the truth is, the faith even of strong believers sometimes can be shaken so bad it's ready to fail them. And these storms come along and they try to rip our anchors from their moorings. It almost is too much for me. And maybe you're, maybe you're saying this, all of this, you know what? It's just almost too much. I'm, I'm about to do it all my way. I'm about to go crazy. You know, I, I realize, you know, man, things that I've learned in the past. Rory, you've even taught me there's things and man, gospel-centered and apply the gospel to this situation. I don't know. When I really think about this, I'm about to do it my way. Just hold on for a second, okay? Don't do it your way. Can can we just give it 10 minutes to where you're not going to do it your way? Can you give me an hour? Give me an hour, 40 minutes, okay, before you go and do it your way. Verse 3 says, For I was envious of the boastful, boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I was talking to Lindsay about this yesterday, and she's like, you're going to have to let the Lord bring like the cultural application to this, because in this room, there's people that are looking at it this way, and there's people that are looking at it this way, and maybe they're both right in ways, okay? But we're seeing some prosperity happening in certain causes one way or the other, and it's just almost too much. How does this guy have a following? How do these people have it? Do not people see this or that? It's almost too much. How are they prospering in this? Verse 4, for there's no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. Asaph studied these people. They die strong, not of starvation or disease or from lack of proper nourishment or good health care. They die strong with surgeons, drugs, and their own strength. These people are wicked, but they've got this false peace as they're going to their grave. They glide into eternity without a struggle. And sometimes I see righteous people, and when they die, they're just, this is not, they're not actually ready to die. And how is it that sometimes that may be the case? Verse five, they're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. And so, think of this for yourself, and maybe your position, and you're looking across the, the aisle, or across the road, and you're like, there's certain ways that, how are they getting off, and how are they, they're dying in peace, how do they even look at themselves in the mirror? But realize that, you know, that might even be said about your position. I May mean, I have a humble heart to see that struggle that maybe they're having towards me on this side. Verse 5, they're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. They've got it easy. He deserves the hottest hell and yet has the warmest nest. And as we kind of step back, and we know from even reading today, there's some good help in this psalm for this. There's an eye of faith that will help us unriddle the riddle here. Verse 6, and we're just in like this section of like, how are the wicked prospering like this therefore pride verse six serves as their necklace pride serves as their necklace it's pride month did you know that and ken was sharing at a home group yes or a men's bible study yesterday about just pride and in, in our marriages and husbands and how prideful we can be he said i got a word for it no it's, it's a north carolina accident right I got a word for you. Starts with a P, ends with an E, and has rid in the middle. I'm like... (laughs) These guys, we got to get rid of our pride. That was a good word, Ken. We've got to get rid of our pride. Man, pride, no matter where we are, our movements can be so prideful. Have just these big old necklaces of, of just haughtiness. Violence covers us like a garment. We're insolently proud and it's like we've got this clothing of violence. And, and of course this is fitting for our day and age. They get away with violence. Nobody is stopping them. Drug lords, dictators, politicians... Soldiers, policemen, militiamen—whatever it may be—they use violence to gain power and wealth, and they hold on to it. Spurgeon said, "In their boastful arrogance, they array themselves; they wear the livery or livery. Would it be livery? Livery? I actually know this word; I just don't know how to say it. Okay, clothing—they wear the clothing of the devil." And they're fond of it. As soon as you see them, you perceive that room must be made for them. For regardless of the feelings and rights of others, they intend to have their way and achieve their own ends. They brag and bully and bluster and browbeat as if they had taken out license to ride roughshod all over mankind. I can totally see this side feeling that way about that side. And I can see this side feeling that way about that side. And I can see everyone that's standing around watching feeling this way about everybody. It's the real true fallen condition of man. We are a wicked sort. Verse 7, their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. The idea here is that the wicked have their eyes stand out with fatness to get heavy enough that your eyes would bulge back in the day was a luxury if you were that fat that your eyes were bulging out then like you were living luxury okay that might be true today too you know we're just man i can eat good right i can lay good i can lay around you know got lots of tv to, you know whatever That was the luxury of the day, and in this case, Asaph is thinking of it, of these these wicked that are prospering. They've got more than you could ever want, and their eyes are bulging as evidence of it. Verse 8, they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. And so they choose the oppression of their subject, and they not only defend oppression, But they defend it. They advocate for it. They glory in it. They would just be glad to make it the general rule among the nations. There are people that have this type of wicked thought. And I think that our nation is in unrest right now because there is a belief that there are wicked individuals who hold on to oppressive behavior. And if you think of all the things that tally against them up into this point, there are a lot of issues of sinfulness in their life that contribute to this one. They scoff and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. And they speak loftily. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. And so there's These wicked that are just speaking of their own importance, and the whole earth is full of the self-importance. One would think that they were demigods themselves, and we see this on a rapidly regular basis every day in our world today, all around us, even within our church uh, it was, it's one commentary here, R. worth opening up the Psalms, said one would at least expect them to realize something of the degree of their blessing and to show a smidgen of gratitude and a dash of humility, but such was not the case. They showed no appreciation for the blessings and no concern for those around them who were not so blessed. Instead, they went about brandishing pride as though it were a chain about their necks. Further, they did not hesitate to speak loftily. Instead of thanking God for their tranquility and affluence, they set their mouth against the heavens. And so the tallies of the wickedness against these individuals, it now is turning to this blaspheming of God. And verse 10 says, Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They increase in riches. And so they are practical atheists. If there is a God, he's so occupied with other events and other matters to know what's going on in this situations, And so they separate themselves from God, and they boast in their own knowledge And they yet dare to ask, is there even knowledge in the Most High? Does God even know? This is a blunder in language. It's a madness of thought, Spurgeon said. Such, however, is the acted insanity of the graceless theists of the age. Theists in name, that means they believe that there's a God. But because avowed infidelity is disreputable, Atheists in practice beyond all question. And I would say that this is across the aisle, both sides, all sides. If we're not trusting in Jesus and we are leaning on our own understanding, God doesn't quite get this aspect of it. God doesn't quite have a handle on that aspect of it. We're just going to go ahead and force this through on our own, and then we'll kind of come back later and then invite God back into our lives concerning these areas. That's practical atheism. You're not really believing in God. It's questionable if you're saved. We can't get away from an absolute trust in God concerning all matters of trial in our life. Verse 13 Asaph just says, Surely I've cleansed my hands in, uh, rather, my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. Here in verse 13, the psalmist reaches his lowest point. This is where the temptation really is there for him to just cast off his faith in Jesus or to cast off his religion. This is what it means to be. A person of faith is to cleanse our hearts in the first place through repentance of sin, regeneration from the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, to wash our hands and be declared innocent by the grace of God, to have the Lord uh, work a reformation within our hearts. And Asaph was ready to just cast that off and lean on his own understanding. And he said in verse 14, For all day long I've been plagued and I've been chastened every morning. God, my life's been hard because I've been faithful to you. And look at the wicked. Look at all their material possessions and their fame and advancement. I've been raised all my life to hear that crime doesn't pay. But excuse me, God, it kind of looks like it does. He's disturbed when he looks at his own case. I've made diligent efforts to a holy life, and now I'm really tired, God. It seems that there are crowns for reprobates these days, and crosses for the elect. How strange it is that the saints would sigh in exhaustion, and sinners would sing. If I'd said, verse 15, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. All this stuff that I've got in my heart, I know that I just can't speak it out because it would be untrue to your people, God. Asaph was very wise in that he kept his troubles to himself. If he had just let his emotions reign, he would have done damage to the household of faith. Jameson says, we might say he refrained from writing when he had only the first 14 verses of the psalm to write. He took up his pen only when he had the last 14 verses with it. He was slow to speak. He was quick to hear. It's been said that it'd be better to be silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. This guy's an idiot. That's why I'm so quiet. Our first conclusions regarding our problems are seldom our best. And if we quickly share those initial emotions and conclusions... We may do serious harm to the faith of others. Spurgeon on this. It's not always wise to speak one's thoughts. Look at me. It's not always wise to speak one's thoughts. If they remain within, they only injure ourselves. But once uttered, their mischief may be great. It's not always wise to speak one's thoughts. From such a man as the psalmist, this utterance which was discontent suggested would have been a heavy blow and a deep discouragement to the whole brotherhood. He dared not therefore come to such a resolution, but paused and would not decide to declare his feelings. It was well, for in his case... Second thoughts were by far the best. I should offend against the generations of thy children. I should scandalize them, grieve them, and perhaps cause them to offend also. We ought to look at the consequences of our speech to all others, and especially to the church of God." I repeat this. "...we ought to look at the consequences of our speech to all others, and especially to the church of God." Woe unto the man by whom offenses come. Rash, undigested, ill-considered speech is responsible for much of the heart and burning and trouble in the churches. Would to God that like Asaph, men would bridle their tongues. Where we have any suspicions of being wrong, it's better to be silent. It can do no harm to be quiet. And it may do serious damage to spread abroad our hastily formed opinions. To grieve the children of God by appearing to act perfidiously and betray the truth is a sin so heinous that if the consciences of hearsay mongers were not seared as with a hot iron, they would not be so glib as they are to publish abroad their novelties." There's a strong word for us here today where we can publish abroad every thought that ever comes into our mind in two seconds. It's really hard to get those words back. And I just want to ask you, church, this is your home church. I want to ask you before you say things, tweet things, post things, I want to ask you to pray about those things. I want to ask you to pray about how they affect the church, Calvary Chapel. How they are perceived among the other people within the congregation. People that you love, that are your family members. We're doing this thing of life together, advancing the gospel. We're being redeemed and we're going out so people can be redeemed as well. I want to ask you, is it going to be a stumbling block? You've got to be careful on these things. I want to ask you, how is it the aroma of Christ to the world around us right now? How is it advancing the gospel? Put your movements and your political position a few notches down the line in priority. And put the universal church of Christ and the local body here as paramount. How can we represent Jesus to each other? How can we encourage each other to search our hearts, repent of our sins, receive forgiveness, glorify God, walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, go out in boldness and evangelize this world? Is this going to help with that? Maybe it will. Maybe it will. But pray about it first. Though he thought amiss, Asaph took care not to utter that evil thought which he had conceived. There's nothing, this is wisdom from a Puritan preacher of the 1500s. There's nothing that can give more general offense to the generation of God's children than to say that we've cleansed our heart in vain. That was his issue. Or that it was vain to serve God. For there's nothing more contrary to the universal sentiment and experience or anything that grieves them more than to hear God thus reflected on. Verse 16, and I have a star by this verse in my notes. It's a star in the text. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Does anybody else feel that way? Like, are you putting some prayerful, gospel-centered thought into what we're going through right now as a culture, as a world, as a nation, as a local community? Have you thought, how do I understand this? Well, I turn on Fox News. (laughs) I turn on CNN. Turn on Reuters. Turn on Facebook. I read these various blogs. YouTube's been awesome. Have you taken time to think about how to understand this? Have you spent time on your knees in prayer and consideration of the state of the world right now? When Asaph is there, he says, you know what? When I'm thinking about it, it's almost too much for me. Jump down to 21. I mean, we've got to end this thing sometime today. Just kidding. We're coming back to verse 16, but... 21 carries on this thought. My heart was grieved. And I was vexed in my mind. Honestly, guys, that's been me. I'm not Asaph, some, some prophet. Might as well write a psalm or something like that. I'm just really, man, I love people. I love people. And I just know that these are lives all around. These are lives that are, man, we've, this is a country that we've built. We have a wonderful history. We've got so many wonderful things. That We've got people. We've got hurt. We've got, we've got racial prejudice that is real. We've got police officers. Some of you are police officers. We've got a sheriff in our church. We've got prison guards in our church. We've got people in our church. We've got people that go every day and they work for something that maybe you are disgusted by. Or vice versa. We've got people that lay awake at night thinking about their race and how their parents are being treated. Or how their kids are going to be treated. Or how they're growing up in a town where they are the only people of color in this place. So have some care, okay? Let yourself get to a place of being vexed within. And praying and crying out. My heart was grieved. I was vexed in my mind. I've, I've just spent time in tears. Yesterday, I got the psalm out with Lindsay, and I said, will you read this with me? Because I just, maybe there's like specific ways I can address both issues. You can help me with this. And we read through it, and guys, as I'm reading through it, I'm just vexed. I'm weeping. I'm I'm holding in the weeping at the point. And Lindsay's sharing and Lindsay just goes off about how this psalm tells us and we're going to get there in a second. This psalm tells us that our only hope is Jesus. Our hope is not reelecting Donald Trump. Our fear is not that Joe Biden be elected. Okay? It's not we got to repent if either one of those are, are what we're like worried about right now in life. Okay? Getting rid of the police okay? or, or doing some surface change. These are things that really there's no system of the world where we're going to see it on any side where we're going to see it right. Where it's going to come right is when the gospel of Jesus Christ changes the hearts of men. And that comes through the preaching of the gospel. Vance Havner said, change comes not by offense from the outside or attacking it from the outside, but by a combustion within of the Spirit of God in the hearts of men. In, In our church, I am seeing a whole lot of anger, frustration. I'm seeing a lot of just, I'm just letting this out there, and I don't care who it offends, and it clearly shows who my trust is in. And you know what I'm not seeing? The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not seeing that, okay? And it's not on you, me too. Okay, we've got all kinds of opinions, but when it comes to signs of life Saturday, where are you? Okay, like the transformation, that's not, oh, you have to go to signs of life. Are you preaching the gospel? Are you bringing the hope of Jesus to this? Are you putting yourself out there for the real cure to the global pandemic of the cancer of sin that is racist and bigoted, and hateful, and selfish, and oppressive, and it has been since the beginning of time. Read your Bible. But the change is going to come, not when people know how to fast-click a YouTube video, but when you do the job of an evangelist, church, be a New Testament Christian full of the power of the Holy Spirit and open up your mouth. That is where the change will come from. And that doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility to speak up concerning others. It will happen from that, okay? It doesn't mean that we can't be a part of politics and share and care, and, but we do it from the big picture view of who Jesus is. What he cares about. How, how is all of this going to solve all of this? It's, no, all of this is going to solve all of this. When, when you think about it, man, Lindsay's sharing this. this. That was Lindsay's sermon to me yesterday, just so you know. So if it made you mad, she's downstairs. You can yell at her later, okay? <laughs> Lindsay's talking, you guys, and my, I'm sitting in the chair next to her, and my heart's going to explode. My lip was quivering. I didn't know where this was coming from. And I just was, I just outpoured and wept. And it's just for me, I just feel this is real stuff. This is real pain. These are people all around. It's people. And they are hurting and they are afraid. And they've got their hope in the wrong Jesus I don't know where they came up with this Jesus. And we need to come back to the Jesus of the Bible. Meek. knelt to wash the feet of the one who would betray him that evening. He would be crucified because of this betrayal within the next day. I only kneel for, you know who you kneel for? If you're a Christian, you kneel for everybody. You kneel and you kneel again and you kneel on this side and you kneel on this side and you wash feet and you lay your life down because that's what Jesus did. Though he was equal with God, he did not consider it robbery to say that he was and yet he came and he humbled himself, became a man and he laid his life down for the sins of the world. And because of that great condescension and the bowing of the knee to men, God has exalted him and given him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And at the feet of Jesus. When I thought of how to understand all this, it was too painful for me back in verse 16. Whatever we're going through, you guys, there's so much going on. There's stuff going on. I'm like... Man, oh, I got to, yeah, okay, come back and focus on this. I've been focused on this painful thing and that painful thing and this person's health issue and this person's pain that they're going through. Oh, yeah, we also have this whole thing. There is so much going on. What do we do with all of it? It was almost too much for me until verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. It was all too much for me until I came and spent time with Jesus until I came to a place of communion with the saints, then I'm in the Word, I'm in prayer, I'm sowing to the Spirit. I'm giving deference to brothers and sisters, I'm serving people. That is working a softness into me, that's working truth in me. And now, because of what God has designed at the sanctuary, then I understood their end. As we spend time with Jesus, it is not to be neglected. And of course, it's personal. In your prayer closet, you can be in the sanctuary of the Lord, and it's also corporate. And as we spend time together in the presence of the Lord, under the preaching of the word, serving one another, using our spiritual gifts, exhorting one another, encouraging one another, showing mercy with cheerfulness, being generous to one another, reaching out to one another, We're going to see the big picture thing and we're going to understand their end. This was the decisive thing for Asaph. He went to church, if you will. It was the turning point. It was where he found what he needed. Here is how we are told he kept his footing and got his victory. And then verses 18 through 20, and we're going to hurry up here. We see the affirmation of God's justice. That God will be just in all of this. And so that just gives us that level of peace. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. So God is just and they will get justice. We think that we've kind of created this... I love justice, man. I've got to care for justice and social justice. And it's become a, a word that we love now. It's a buzzword. And I was actually, uh, it, I mean, this was like a year ago, I think. And I was at uh, Red Robin. Love it. Miss it. Might go there after this. Okay. Uh, slight distraction. Red Robin always does that to me. Well, I was going to Coastal and I found myself at Red Robin. I don't know. Okay. And there was a guy that was our server, and his name was Justice. And he said, oh, we get to pick our uh, names out. And I chose Justice, you know. All right, that's awesome. Justice is awesome. But justice flows from the chief judge. Justice flows from the mighty counselor. Justice flows from the one who is also our attorney, our defense attorney, our mediator. And justice will come to the wicked. Verse 20 says it's going to be like a dream. All of a sudden you're dreaming and then you awake. So Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. So all the people living in wickedness, it's like they're living this dream and one day judgment's going to come. At the same time, it's going to be like, it seems like the Lord's sleeping right now. You read the Psalms. The psalmist is often like, where are you, Lord? Are you sleeping right now? And the Lord's like, hey, you'll know when I'm awake. I'll tell you that. Because justice is coming. Thus my heart was grieved. Verse 21. I was, fo- uh, my, what was it? My heart was grieved. I was vexed in my mind. We touched on that. It was a deep-seated sorrow. It penetrated into his inmost being. His heart was soured and embittered. Verse 22. In all of his reasoning, he became foolish and ignorant. I think that's happening right now. Like if we're not spending the time before the Lord and bringing this before the Lord, we become foolish, we become ignorant. He says, I was like a beast before you. It speaks of a behemoth. I was just like this crazy dinosaur, t T-Rex, just tearing everything up. <laughs> before the Lord, I was like that. And even the wisest of men have enough folly in them to ruin them and become behemoths, unless they're continually in the grace of the Lord. Verses 23 through 26, we have then the desire of the godly. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. As we spend time with Jesus, like a little child, he, he holds us by our right hand. Tatum is three years old. She'll be four. Well, she'll be four next month. I've been saying she's three when really she's close to four, but... Uh, She started riding a a pedal bike this week, about four days ago. I'll tell you what. My older two kids, they were like about six by the time they rode a pedal bike. They rode a training wheels. Those things are horrible. Get a striker bike or a strider bike, whatever they're called. The two little ones had a coaster. They, three years old, they're riding a, a pedal bike. And it's so cute and it's so adorable. Tatum is like my Shirley Temple. You guys like Shirley Temple? She's Shirley Temple, witty and cute and funny, just cracks me up. And she's just got this little bike and got her little bell for it at Walmart the other day. And I was like, hey Tatum, every time you sing, ring this bell, you need to know that it's saying, my daddy loves me, my daddy loves me, my daddy loves me. And so now she's going around saying it, my daddy loves me, okay? And, and of course, the, when it was all first starting, I was running right by her. I didn't have to do much. I was just running right by her and... She'd go off into the ditch. She'd go off into the bar pit. She'd hit that gravel, and I was just right there. And before she knew it, boom, I picked her up off the bike, and the bike crashed. And I I would just be right there for when when she's slipping. And when we, church, are in that place where, man, this is almost too much for me. Truly, God is good. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My, My front tire hit that gravel. I'm going down. But in all of this, Lord, I trust in you. I trust you're going to just keep me from falling, Lord. Protect me. Be that father for me. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. You guys, this is an important perspective to keep in mind in the midst of all that's going on around us in these incredibly awful times. If we get our eyes on things besides the Lord then we've got something else to hope for besides we got you know heaven's kind of like maybe something out there and not really and you know what on the earth i kind of have the earth stuff instead jesus needs to be all encompassing we breathe jesus we sleep jesus we rest in jesus we hope in jesus it's all jesus my hope in heaven is jesus my hope on earth is jesus my hope on earth is not this party that party this country that country Like, Jesus isn't a Democrat. Jesus isn't a Republican. Jesus isn't an American. All right? Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. So, Lord, give me a healthy perspective of how I can love and serve this government that you have established and yet know that the big picture thing is, you know what? On earth, really all I have is you, Lord. At the end of the day, it's Jesus. There's scarcely a verse in all of the Psalms more expressive than this of the pious and devout affections of a soul to God, it says. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart fail. You might feel like that right now. My flesh and my heart fail. It's overwhelming. But God, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Two things. He's the strength of my heart. And he's just everything I need. There's the old Chris Tomlin song. All of you is more than enough for all of me. For indeed, verse 27, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. We know that God in his justice, he will judge sin and sinners. Lainey's friend is FaceTiming me right now. No. And she calls back too. (laughs) She did right there. Maybe two times is all she needs. Verse 28, are you guys ready to be done with this? Worship team, come on up. But it is good for me to draw near to God. For I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. That's that's the conclusion here, guys. All of this, oh what? Oh, they said, she said, they said there's a they're protesting here, they're over there, they're on the other side of the street, they're yelling back, oh the, the cops had to come and this and that, oh no, well. Oh, and then there's this, and then there's November, oh don't even get me started on November, and then there's You know what? Let's just keep the main things the main things, Christians the plain things the plain things i it's so good for me to draw near to god you know what i've put my trust in my god and then there's a missionary statement at the very end that i may declare all your works that's what we're going to be doing next saturday you guys in the midst of all of it we're going to trust the lord we're as a church we're going to move this community By the power of the Holy Spirit in the hope of the gospel. Not by attack from without. Not by works of our flesh. But by combustion within of the Holy Spirit. Let's be faithful to the call in our lives for that. Everyone in here that would say amen to this psalm. And and be able to say you know what? It's just good for me to draw near to the Lord. I put my trust in you. Then we get to go out and declare all of his awesome works. That's what we get to do. You guys, I'm really, I'm not claiming to like have, I I don't have it figured out. That's part of it all. I'm just, man, I'm grieved because there's no way. I don't think anyone has it figured out. I I know where the real hope is. I've read books. In fact, I, I read a whole book on the matter before COVID. Like reading on it, watching on it, thinking on it, talking on it. At the end of the day, you guys, this is where our hope is. This is where our solid rock is. Truly God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, switch it up. Can we do... Can we do oceans again? I think, that's, I think that's where we're at as a church. Will you guys stand with me? As we close out this uh, song here, Joe and Rhett, will you guys take this front row right here? Mark, will you take that front row right there? And uh, we'll just scooch it on in there. We're going to open up the front here for um, just a time of responding to the Lord and coming into the sanctuary. We've come into the sanctuary and... If you guys will just be ready and willing to bow your heart before the Lord and lay aside maybe all of your agenda, lay aside your movement's agenda. Just lay it aside to where you're like, maybe there's something super good in this. Maybe there's something super good in this. But you know what? Today, it's the Lord's day, and I've come to the sanctuary And I just, I invite him into my life to give me godly, gospel-centered perspective on this. And I want to repent today where I have kind of taken an iron-fisted grab on this side or this side or that. I want to repent of maybe words that I've said that were maybe very unkind, very unloving, maybe not careful for the people of the church. I want God to give me a vexed heart for this. But uh, and in it all and above it all, I want to trust the Lord. I want to trust the Lord and I want to display Him abroad. And maybe we're all there to a, a, a degree, but if you know like this was a word for me, this is a word for my like my heart that needs to really be softened. This is a word for me, and maybe my my pet project that I've got that's it's been a bit extreme, or this is a word for me to like actually care, whatever it is, man. You know this is a word for you today, and you just want to come before the Lord and let Him work in you. I just we make this uh, spot available up here to kneel before the altar. Or to stand or to come and pray with someone else. Maybe there's someone that comes up and you just want to surround them and pray for them. Maybe there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on in our lives and this psalm addresses all of it. And you just know you need the grace of God upon you. You need to just be refreshed in knowing who God is and His power and His principles. So that we can go out and tell the world of His great love. We make this front available. There might just be a part in the song that you're like, that's kind of a word for me. I felt like it was a word for us today and that might prompt you to come and, and just lay down before the Lord and kneel before the Lord and let Him do this work in us as a church.